0: Good morning, everybody. Today, Bezat Hashem will be learning Daflamid Lamid Psachim. We will be learning three distinct and very halachalamaisa. A lot of halachalamaisa comes out of these uh, in Yenim. We went from Truma, and we're so happy to see Kalman still here holding on for uh, what is now very, very relevant in the halacha. However, we'll, as we will see, there are a lot of, uh, in terms of what the actual psak is, it's going to be, uh, require a lot more Ian. But we will be learning some building blocks here for some of the basics in Yeridea. Uh Anybody who ever Lost a spoon, a fleshic spoon, in a milchic pot, etc. Um, a lot of the source material is here on Daflamid. And we start with the very first word, Amar Rava. Okay. So what, what's the halacha? Rava is going to actually, um, in his statement, have several halachas. So let's see. Hilchasa. The halacha. So right away we see the word halacha here. So we're getting halacha today. Hilchasa. Chameitz bizmano Okay. So you say, if bizmano" here means on Pesach. So if chameitz is mixed... With let's say stuff that isn't chametz, right? You have chametz, obviously it's us and pesach, and so the question here is, what about tarrobes? Is chametz going to be like other isurim in the sense that it's Batel? We know that we have a concept of bittel, bittel beshishim, famously that when we were talking about truma we were talking about bittel b'maya, we were talking about bittel b'matayim uh, with certain things. So, but we know that there's a concept of bittel. The things become nullified when they're in a mixture, and they are overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, right, uh, a minority of the mixture. However, chametz is not that case, uh, according to Rava. Bein b'mino, bein shelo b'mino. So the statement of Rava is That on Pesach itself Now this concept of Mino and Lobimino Obviously, and this is uh, over the weekend We've been introduced to these concepts How this uh, applies the lochle Again, we're not going, to, we're, we're learning our attitudes. We're going to learn building blocks. Uh, it could be, we could spend, uh, uh as is often the case, we could spend weeks on just portions of this stuff. But, Ben Benino Ben Shalom, uh, Rabbi Shalom Razo, the great, Afyomi uh, master, considers this one of the uh, biggest lochle and maisa in all of Shas. So, we're, we're very fortunate to be learning it, but we're hopefully, Hadron Allah, right? We'll go back and look at it more, Ian. but be that as it may, there is a distinction, right? If something is of its own kind, or, if something is not of its own kind, the idea of Mino versus Lov Mino, it could affect whether it's, as we've learnt, whether it could be Mavutal or not. But with regards to the Chametz on Pesach, it is irrelevant. According to Rav, um, right, that, according to Rava, which we'll see, who's quoting Rav in this, uh, in this halacha. Also, it's also which is to say that the shear is irrelevant. It doesn't matter how much the, there's a bital, it doesn't matter how much it is overwhelmed by another, by another substance, whether it's Mino or not Mino, doesn't matter how much of the Chametz there is. A minute amount of chametz, no matter what kind of mixture it is in, on Pesach itself is going to passel the entire the entire thing. And this is not so surprising to us because we know how extremely Khamer chametz is, and how the Torah went out of its, its way in several different ways to explain the chumr of and that's not the only reason. We also know that it's a davr matirin, right? We also know that chamez is something that's going to become, um, right? And we see in Masechet besa that anything that's going to become mutter later is in fact uh, it's definitely a factor in terms of whether something does become mevutal, um, does become nullified in a mixture. So be that as it may, that's the opinion of Rav, and that's Rav's halacha. However, Ravah throws us a curveball here. There's a hybrid cheetah. Why? Because she is bismano, the Gemara continues to say, if this chametz is mixed, right, with that's us after Pesach, so bein bimino, bein she karebi Shimon. Oh, so at that point, the chametz, obviously, it's still going to need to potentially be nullified, right? Uh, but even if, it's bimino shalom bimino, which the art scroll, this is, this is again, what this exactly is going to refer to is is going to be uh, something that all the post are discussing, but here art scroll explains it has to do with noten tam, that even if it, there's enough of the chomets to actually be, have noten tam, to have a flavor, in Rup Shimon, and this is obviously quoting the view of Rup Shimon, which we uh, mentioned um, until now, right, in yesterday's daf, so he says, even if it imparts tam, the chomets is not going to be usher. okay. now. Rashi explains over here, the first Rashi in Lama of Raleph. Wow. So basically, Rashi translates this according to the Pashas of the Gemara, that perhaps this could apply to other Isurim. This, as according to Shalom Rosner, is one of the few, maybe even, uh, maybe even less than a handful, two or three times in all of Shaz that Rashi actually gives a Uh And nobody holds it like this. But be that as it may, the Gemara asks, that this is a hybrid cheetah that it sounds like is a, a according to Ravah. There's a Mishmash here of Rav and Shmuel. Why a uh, Rav and, and Rabbi Shimon? Rather, how is he going to going to reconcile the fact that he holds like Rav on Pesach and then Bachamis Shabbar love Pesach? He holds like Rabbi Shimon. So the Gemara asks, Umi ama Ravah Hachi? Can Ravah really say right? The Bachamis Shabbar love Pesach is going to be like Rabbi Shimon. Veha ama Ravah Rabbi Shimon knasa kani's hoel v'Shabbar love b'bayurah u'bayur matzai. Right, so. In other words, even though it's muter me'ikar din, right, it should be Usr according to a knas. In other words, Rava, in the statement that we just quoted, the halacha, says that chamesh hava is pesach is muter uh, according to, uh, with the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. But Rava himself had conceded, in a different context, that Rabbi Shimon himself gave a knas on chamesh uh, hava the, lava pesach. Again, the rationale there was, uh, that since he was over on it, right, then he's going to have, what? a knas on him. And so therefore, how could Ravus say that Rabbi Shimon says it's mutter when Rabbi Shimon explicitly says that there is a knas der Abanon on it? In other words, a knas der Abanon still is not the same thing as saying that it's mutter. Mutter sounds like it's mutter Gamre. So the Gemara reconciles this as follows. meili That the iser der the knas of Rabbi Shimon, was when the chametz was what was actually without a tarovis. That's what the Ene means. You're seeing the chametz in your hand, right? Aval Ali de tarovis lo. But when it's in a mixture, Rabbi Shimon is not going to say that it's usher. Uh, Rashi over here, this is an additional Kiddush of Rashi, as follows. So we know, again, halachalamaisa, we're not going to Paschim, but we know that there's something called Chametz Shavar Lava Pesach. It could be a loaf of bread. And if, if it's Chametz Shavar Lava Pesach, there's going to be a question. Is there a Knas on this or not? The chiddush of Rashi is quite a chiddush. In other words, he's saying that the only time that Rav Shimon is giving you the knas is if it's still in the loaf of bread form that it actually had during Pesach itself. But even if you took that loaf of bread and then after Pesach was over, you put it into a mixture, then even there Rav Shimon would say that it's already mutter. The only time that Rav Shimon is giving you the knas is if it's still in the pure form. Okay, fine. So that is the rule of Allah Rav of Rava. We have now, therefore, this idea of tarobis. The tarobis is usher on Pesach. And mutter after Pesach, according to Rava, and the Gemara points out Ravah Rava is consistent with himself here, because as follows, the Amma Rava Rava said in a different context. and we were studying in Rav Nachman's yeshiva, and yeshiva Pescha, and after Pesach, right, he would always say with regards to the chametz, Puku uzvinu chamiru go and buy the bread of the what of the goyim. In this case, the Bnei Chela are the soldiers. The soldiers, the Bnei Chela, are soldiers and they're non Jewish. Okay, so he's saying, go and buy the bread of the non Jews. Right? So now, this is Rabbi Shimon's opinion, this is a reflection of Shimon's opinion. The Chametz She'avar alava Pesach is only usher if it was the Chametz of a Jew. Okay? So we see that Ravah, who allows Chametz She'avar alava Pesach, must hold like Rabbi Shimon. Now, by the way, the the uh, the uh, the uh, opposing opinion here, as we learned yesterday, is Rabbi Yehuda. Right, he holds that it's usser, whether it's with a Jew or with a guy. But Rabbi Shimon holds, right, that it is mutter. And this is where we conclude sort of this halacha of the different opinions with regards to the Chametz of Hapesach. And so, like I said, we're, we're talking about building blocks here. And so now you know at least the lexicon, right? The language, the, the considerations here. Is it the Chametz of a Jew? Is it the Chametz of a Goy? Is it a Rovis or not? Right? Does this apply only to Chametz or does it apply to Shar, right? Or Shar is- Isurim in the Torah? Um, is it Min Bamino? Is it mean no B'mino? These are all going to be the considerations you'll find halacha all over the map. Uh, regarding this, we'll have to ask, Rabbi Rose, but at least now we have the building blocks and we know what the considerations are. Okay. Sometimes knowing the Shilat ask is, right, knowing when to ask the Shilat is the most important thing. You have to, and that's true of dentistry or any other aspect of life. Sometimes knowing when you have to refer to the specialist or what when there's an issue is, uh, is really just a the first step in understanding what you're talking about. Okay, so that's step number one. Okay, Halakhla Ma'isah issue number two. Kashering and Kalin. Okay, do they have that here in Baltimore? I don't remember because uh, in Ramat Chemish you used to have giant pots. They have it here also, I'm sure. Agalos Kalim. Giant pots of scalding hot water. Klerishon al Gabi ha'ish. Okay, now there is a higher level, by the way, of kashering than boiling water. And that is blow torching, direct fire. And that's going to come up here. Okay, so let's see. Amarav. We're talking about Kheres, clay Kheres, which we're usually, right, we're not going to be kashering clay Kheres. We're kashering metal. That's going to come up here as well. So Amarav, Rav said, Yishovru. Right? If what you have is a clay Kheres, and it's filled with chametz, now they broke them, which is to say you cannot kasher them. Right, obviously, you could probably put them uh, away and sell them, and you know, put them in a storehouse, and etc. But the point is, you can't kasher klecheres for Pesach. Okay, why Why is that true that you that you um, that you have to break these klecheres? Okay, so we say Why don't you just keep the klecheres? Why are you breaking them? Keep them after Pesach. And again, prepare them with all, with kinds of foods, right, that are not and that's how you actually right bring it back over here to this question of Rav, right? And so Rashi here has a, a total explanation of how you need to have, in order to suggest this in the Gemara, okay, in order to suggest the Gemara that you should keep it, after Pesach, you have to hold like this, as follows. Says Rashi, this is a Kedai Rashi to see. First of all, you have to hold like Rav, right, that Chamez is going to be Yasuba even after the Zman, not like Rabbi Shimon, right? As the Rashi says, Karib Yehuda, right? Okay. So again, this is Rava had the hybrid cheetah, right? On Pesach itself, he held like Rav, as we, as we started the daf. After Pesach, he held like, Right, like Rabbi Shimon. But here this is if you hold like Rav consistently all the way through, and you hold like Rabbi Huda, Isla Bimash, because nice and Tamlif Gam, Usr. And the other thing you have to hold is that even after Pesach, no sen Tamlif is Usr. This is another building block concept, a very important but as a matter of fact, just yesterday my daughter-in-law calls me, she cooked the quinoa in a fleshic pot, and the pot had not been used for over twenty-four hours. Can she so the quinoa everything all the ingredients were parv, can she eat the quinoa with cheese? Right? So these are everyday shailas. And so the question here is when the pot is more than it's when it's an eno and it's more than a day old, then it's assumed that they will call it like that the that the flavor is like a rotted flavor. That's called Nasentamlif Gam. Right? That flavor is no longer fresh and delicious. If it were on the counter in its uh, pure initial form, you wouldn't eat it either, right? Because over a day old, let's say. And yet there's a machlokas. When it's not gum, is that mutar so if you hold up Nosan Tam Nifgam is mutter, that would mean that this fleishik pot, let's say that my daughter-in-law used, it's not even necessarily considered, so to speak, fleishik because whatever fleish, as we're going to see, the, what, if even if you heated it up with the quinoa, very hot, right? So when you when you cooked it, so we say that the amount of cooking that it takes, the amount of absorption that is going to absorb the item into the kli, let's say the fleishik into the kli, that's you're going to use the same action in order to extract that fleishik out of the kli. We'll see the, the exact language in the Gemara that whatever heat, you're, let's say heat source you can use to break to infuse the kli with this heat, with this uh, flesh, that's the same heat source that, if applied to the same kli, is going to extract it from the flesh. But if that flesh is more than twenty four hours old, then it's nois nice and tam gone right? Then it's like rotted flesh, and that in itself is, as Rashi is going to say here, as Rashi is going to say, that in itself is not. We hold that that is not usser. And so, in order to say that a kli, by definition, in order to say that a kli after Pesach, right, is going to still be usser, you have to hold. Like, like Rav, that not only do you have to hold that, that it's usher after Pesach, but you also have to hold that noisent is usher, right? It's a double Kiddush. It, you know, it's a double um, iser of Rav. Number one, Pesach is over. Number two, this thing's already rotted, right? It's not fresh anymore. It's not sentan nefkam. This is what Rashi is, Rashi is saying. Rashi is saying, Rav is holding like himself that he has this double Kiddush, that it's both Achar mano and it's not of And here, how often do you see Rashi say this? That's why I thought it was Kedai to read inside because you'll see this, like I said, twice, three times, not too often in shots, according to Rabbi Rosner. And he's an authority, believe me. It says, Rashi, V'le and the lacha is not like Rav, for two reasons. is poskening here, or really he's saying that this is the Gemara's poskening. Number one is how we started the daf That Rav holds that the Lacha in the Tair is mutter like Rabbi Shimon. B'hai pachos mit Tair Ovisu. the Kaimala time lifkam mutter. And also we hold that noisintam lifkam is mutter. is isha'vro lavi mea Pesach, hufag tamo bedofne ha'kli. And here, by definition, once Pesach already passed, it must be that it already, uh, that it's already a noisintam lifkam. Gemara thus answers, however, Gezairah. Dilmud also lim right, that this idea that even though, right, in other words, the Gemara explains to us why at all, right, should we have to break these earthenware vessels we could say no some time of gam we could say it's after Pesach, but no it's a gezera because if you start messing around with these earthenware vessels people are going to come to prepare with them right mean to me no and again because of the fact that we already mentioned just now we were only 15 20 minutes into the shiur we already have like five different considerations it's not easy for the uh, general population right to keep track of all these things so we make some gezeras they should just know that the earthenware vessels are off limits because they're harder to kasher. and that obviously becomes very relevant here when we're talking about kashering kalim. so now, uh, we're going to say, so that was the first Shita. Now we're going to say Shmuel Shita. Shmuel Amar, lo shavru. Right? So this was a classic machlokas. Do you have to break earthenware vessels? Rav said you have to break them. Shmuel Amar, no, you can keep them because there's a way of, of kashering them. How so? Says Shmuel, avamashi lahul achazmano, de obibuhu ben bimino ben shalobimino. In other words, it is Shmuel's opinion that you don't have to worry about this mino shalobimino because once you wait, and this is consistent with Shmuel Shita, once you wait after Pesach, they're going to be actually mutter, even whether it's min o ben Okay, so the Gemara asks, uh, then observes with regards to Shmuel, and this actually is consistent with how we saw Shmuel Paskin in general. Shmuel used to go and tell the pot sellers after Pesach. What are we talking about here? A cottage industry. Businessmen have to take advantage of opportunities. What was the opportunity? If you're living in a place where everyone's breaking their earthenware vessels every single before Pesach, Then a good job to be, it's like the guys who sell the Dalat medium and then they take off the rest of the year. Here, this is the guys, they sell pottery for Pesach and take off the rest of the year, because everybody's buying pottery. And not only is everybody buying pottery, but they're desperate, because they broke all their pottery. So you can mark up the pottery, right, just like the Dalat medium, because where else are you going to get it? You're not going to go to the fields of wherever, the Chazanish fields. So here, the pottery, they're going to sell it at a high markup, because they know that everyone's desperate, supply and demand. Oh, so Shemuel used to go to these pottery salesmen and say, You better have, what? Price control on your pots. You better not mark up these pots. And he threatened them as follows. And if you don't keep the prices reasonable, Which he was referring to himself. I'm going to teach the whole town over here, that the is like me, that you don't even need to break the pots. And then you'll lose your whole industry here. Okay, that was what Rabbi Shemuel said. So we see that this was consistent, he was poskiting like himself, that you don't actually have to break the pot. The Gemara then asks, he said, wait a minute. Shmuel held like Rabbi Shimon for reals, right? He held like the Lacha was like Rabbi Shimon that you don't have to that right. Rabbi Shimon, as we mentioned, right, that he allows the chamish mixtures, and therefore he would not require the pots. So what is this? Uh, this is not an empty threat. This is literally what he held the lachah. So why is he threatening them? He should just pass him like that, and then nobody would have to buy the new pots altogether. The my answers, the Rav Hava." No, no. This was Rav's territory, his jurisdiction, and therefore Shmuel was never going to actually in this locale, right, start saying that the, right, the, the, the Rav's badats is not necessary. That would be disrespectful. This was the place of Rav, but he was going to threaten that he was not going to change the stock, but he was going to teach everybody that it's not 100% necessary, such that if the price of the pots gets out of hand, people are not going to have to buy those those pots. Very, very interesting how the halach al plays into the economics here, right? Okay. So now, six lines up from the bottom of Lamed of We're talking about milchigs and fleshig bread. We will see this again on Daf Lamed Vav. So I think that'll be Shabbos. So, you'll recall today fondly when you learn this on Shabbos. Um, fine. So, the uh, discussion with milk Inflation Bread is just a discussion, basically, of. If people used to eat their bread, right, very commonly, that was the meal, and they used to eat it with a lot of different other things. They used to eat it, we were talking about kutach, the, which was uh, mentioned many times. We had Lamed Zion in Bruchos, and then multiple times since then, we had it o- over here uh, only a few weeks ago. This famous kutach, which was supposedly a very disgusting dish, uh, as we discussed in Bruchos, but, you know, obviously they ate it. So that was milchig, as you might recall, had some milk in it. A lot of times they ate it with fleshyx. And so that's problematic, because we're used to par of bread. So there's a reason why we used to par of bread. Because if you have milchigs, or Felishik's bread, it was very hard to discern whether it's Milchik's or Felishik's, so you can't usually tell by looking at the bread and therefore you can easily get into a problem with Basar Bahala, basically is the issue of Milchik's or Felishik's bread. Uh, according to Rabbi Rosner, the issue of Thomas's English muffin is a whole sheer quality in itself. How you can have that Milchik bread. But be that as it may, because I think it's real Milchik, O-U-D, okay. So now, yeah, so, okay. So, so there was an oven that was greased, right, with animal fat coating and that was delicious, okay. Um, and it was, however, fleshic, okay? So this is a kind of coating with animal fat that they did on the inside of the oven that made, now the question is, is it going to make the, the bread fleshic? That could be a problem. So let's see. Asara Rababar Ahilai, Lerifta. Ravah uh, Bar did not allow eating this bread. Afilu Bumilcha, right? So here's the issue, right? If you're going to eat it with any other thing, then you can get confused. But what about if somebody said, you know, this kind of bread you could eat, but you can only eat it by itself, or lightly salted, so, is that a thing? So he said, no, even with salt, he didn't want to get involved with anybody eating this bread because of why, says the Gemara, maybe you can eat it with the famous kutach, right, which we know is Milchik's. Okay. That was the issue. So again, right, you can get confused and that's why we have these gazeros. So, Mesme. Let's see. Did we have to hold like Rava Barach So we say, Okay. We have a price that says you can't eat dough with milk, right, you don't have Milchik's bread. But if you do, then the entire bread is going to be forbidden. We Right, right, the lavera, right? Because even if you eat the bread with nothing on it, you're going to get used to eating that bread. And hergalavera, basically, you're going to start eating it either with milk or with vice versa, and that's the problem. And similarly, as we turn to lam on days, um, you can't grease, as we just said, right, the oven with the fleshic fatty tail of sheep. tash oh, Here's where the price departs from the halacha. It says here that if you do grease the oven with the fatty tail of the sheep, then obviously the bread's going to be flesh, it's going to be usr, and uh, and then it's going to be usr until when? Well, here the Gemara gives you a recourse. What's the recourse? Until yasikatat atanur, right? You can actually fire up the oven, kasha the oven, in other words, fire it up, burn away the fat. So as opposed to before, right, the halacha we said was a very, right, um, a very dramatic word, right? rava bar ilai, that it's usr le'olam. It's always asr. He used lashon l- olam. Here, we're not saying it's always. Never say never. Rather, you can actually get, there is a recourse, which is, you can actually kosher the oven, and then subsequent to kashering the oven, it's no longer considered fleshics, and now you can start baking bread in it again, because you'll have the of bread. Aha. Uh-huh. Right? So he says, it sounds like that Rabbi Yehuda, that Rabbi Bar is actually contradicting himself. He's saying that if you fire up the oven, it's mutter. So why is he saying earlier that it's asr olam? Says the Gemara to yufta to barilai to Wow. This is an actual internal contradiction within Rav Bar barilai that we can't, we can't seem to uh, resolve. Now, you could say, well, no, he was just saying, so, when he said olam, he was saying so long uh, that that bread is asr olam, right? And that bread is always asr. But presumably, it was actually uh, an, an implication. olam, right? Rashi said over there, afil chazar v'husak. Right, so Rashi already, as we say in Yiddish, Bavor in the Kasha, right? Rashi anticipated that we were going to make that observation, and Rashi was saying even then that the implication of Rav bar Eli was that even if you somehow went back and, and Kasha the Oven, it's always going to be a fleshed oven. Okay. So the Gemara asks, So wait a second. It sounds like we're holding that the second opinion is the halacha, which is to say, and we are used to this, that you can actually Kasha the Oven. Right, We're taking that to be the halacha. Okay. So once we take that to be the halacha, you can kasher the oven. So the question then becomes, why do you have to break earthenware vessels? Don't forget, the ovens of those days were also made out of earthenware. Right? So you have your ceramic ovens and you have your ceramic vessels. For the ceramic vessels, right, we know that there was a machlokes, Rav and Shmuel, and Rav held that kadeiros are actually broken, right? that you can't kasher them. Okay? And yet it seems like this second thing here, it was so strong to knock off Rav a very light, this b'risa that says that you can kasher an oven, seems to be uh, accepted universally. Oh, so that was Ravina's question to Ravashi. Ravina says, if everyone holds it, you can kosher an oven. So how could Rav, which is ceramic, as we discussed, so how can Rav hold that you have to break a ceramic? If an oven can be koshered, then maybe a khali could also be, a khali could also be kosher, After all, they're both made out of the same material. What would be the difference? That's the question. To which Ravashi answers as follows. Omele, here it is, Do you believe these basic building blocks of kosheres here? Ravina is explaining to him, this is where we learn all of it. We're used to this, but this is why we're used to it, because we learn at Daff and the that the oven is made out of metal. Metal is kosherable, but the kadera is made out of earthenware, and ceramic is not kosherable. Oh, that's one possibility. It could be that the oven too is made out of earthenware. However, another basic fundamental idea that the earthenware is koshered from the outside. Okay? The oven, by definition, is being koshered from the inside. When you heat up an oven, I mean, think about it. When you, when you, let's say, cook something in a kadai, in a pot. So the heat source is outside of the pot, right? That's where the heat source is. You're not sticking the heat source in the pot. The heat source is outside of the pot. And therefore, that is the method of heating. When you heat something in an oven, where's the heat source? It's in the oven. Uh-huh. So the explanation here, the art scroll actually uh, explains it very, very nicely, which is that the inside is much hotter. When you're heating something on the inside, the heat is is dissipating way less, right? Heat in an oven gets contained in an oven. It's much, much hotter. And that would account for the difference between heating a pot from the outside and heating an oven from the inside. Heating a pot from the outside is simply not as hot. And much more heat is dissipating, and therefore it's not kashering, okay? As opposed to heating an oven from the inside, the heat is being retained. It becomes much, much hotter. And that's why it's actually okay. Even when the ceramic, the Gemara, at this stage, is saying that from the ceramics, it's going to be okay to kasher the oven, but not sufficient to kasher the pot, says the Gemara. Okay, so heat up the pot from the inside as well. Now, as you're telling me you want to kasher the oven, and you, want to, and you want to kasher the pot the same way that you kasher the oven. So why would Rav force everyone to break their kalim? Let him just tell everyone to what? To heat up the pot from the inside like an oven, and then it would work. Says the Gemara, no, that'll never work because which means that the heat source, when it's heating up a pot from the inside, the pot is simply too fragile to tolerate this kind of heat source, and it's going to burst. And because of that concern... Rashi explains right that once you get into koshering pots, people are going to be concerned that they're going to break their pots. And once you allow them to kosher from the inside, out of a concern that they're going to break their pots, they're going to start koshering it from the outside. And then that's why we have to categorically say that, the, according to Rav, that pots can't be koshered when they're ceramic because uh, because it's so much more dangerous to kosher them from the inside as far as breaking the pot. And then people just won't be willing to do it. And it's going to lead to a right an inadvisable practice um, where you're going to ineffectively kosher it from the outside. So we just said pots are usher altogether. Based on this, the Gemara actually has here. Again, therefore, in the case of um, a tile, uh, what the uh, article calls a tile ring, basically these are things that are smaller and therefore more sturdy and won't burst from the inside heat. Firing from the outside, of course, is asr. But if you fill this tile ring on the inside with coals and you thus kashin it from the inside as one does an oven, shop your dummy. That would be satisfactory. That would be okay. And again, the reason that would be okay is presumably these tile rings, whatever they are, are sturdier than pottery, than regular pottery. And therefore, we're not concerned that people will start heating it from the outside. And again, we're conceding that heat from the inside is always going to be stronger and therefore sufficient. So there is ways to kasha ceramics, just not in the normal way of kashring. And therefore, for kalim and kaderis, it's not enough. But for ovens and these tile rings, the bukhya, it is. So that was topic number two. Now, topic number three. Kashring, kalim. So, Amalai, Ravina, Lairavashi. This is 12 lines down on Laman and Rebez. Knives used for chametz. Okay, what do we do? How do we kasher them? Okay, for Pesach. As Rabbi Shalom Razna points out, this halacha that we're going to discuss is not dafka for knives. It's not, it's not dafka for pask, for Pesach either. This is kashering, flesheiks, and eggs, any kind of kalim. Um, okay, so, and to which Birnbaum joked, love La, dafka kashering, but he's just being funny. Burnman's hilarious at times. Okay, so he says, why are we using Sakina Fisha? Um so Rishal M quoted suggested that. Well, knives have, do have the extra chumrah with regards to onions and the like, because we say that the pressure of a knife is almost like, it's almost like bishol. And also, obviously, Pesach is more chumrah, than a lot, than, than, or at least treated in a lot of ways a lot more chumrah, because of, we had the suggestion of even Bamashu and even B'tah right? And even, uh, so even, I mean, B'mino and So, Pesach and knives are going to be the most chumrah. So, if you know how to kosher this, you know how to kosher anything. That's the bottom line. But this really applies to everything. Anyway, the question is, how do you kosher Kaelin? So, Armaleh, Avashi answered him. Well, we don't get into that issue. We just make new new knives. Oh, okay. So Amalaya says, Okay, that works for you because you can afford it, right? Like who else can, who can afford, who can treat knives like disposable and just buy new ones every year? What about people, the normal people like us who can't get new silverware every single year? So Amalaya actually said, okay, here, okay, fine. Here's what I'll do. I didn't mean that I have Pesach knives. What I mean is that I make them so kosher that they are like new. When I said of abdinan, I didn't mean that I buy new ones. Because why would I say that? That would just be showing off, right? That wouldn't have any halachic implications at all. No, of course that's not what I meant. I meant, I make, I so they're like brand new. Okay. How so? First, I wrap the handle in clay. And then I do what? Farzalayu banura. I take the farzalayu, the blade part portion, and I do what? I don't stick it in boiling pot of water. I stick it straight into fire. I really, really casher up that sucker. Now, once I've cashered up the blade portion, then I remove the clay from the handle. Now the blade, mind you, is kosher. Okay? And then I immerse that part where the blade had been in boiling water. Okay, wait a minute. So the blade needs fire. The handle just needs boiling water, as discussed. Those are two different levels. The fire is more potent. So how does this work? So the Gemara says, So the really Right, that really, a uh, lachlama boiling water be suffice both for the handle portion and for the blade of a clear As long as it's a clear rishon, um, again, over here, the concept of, right, hagalah versus a blowtorch. So we do hagalah, right, in, in khli it's boiling and it's on top of the H The idea of clear rishon, obviously, in this Gemara sparks, uh, discussion because typically with Ilkhashab is khli rishon, uh, is not necessarily something that's al H There's a distinction, right? khli rishon, is still called a Kli Rishon even once it's off the fire. It's still the initial Kli that the that the fire w- that the water was boiling in. So it would still be called Kli Rishon, and therefore that sparks a discussion in the rishonim and in the postgame as to whether this klirishon Fargala still needs to be on the fire or not. But we we, we keep it on the fire. Uh, you can read um, reams and reams of of halacha on this alone. Okay, but but what we see um, what we're knowing what we see um, on the streets on arve psachim is this giant smoldering cauldron of boiling water on the fire, which certainly one would imagine is more potent than the cleavation off the fire, for sure. And of course the blowtorch is more than that. Why did, um, why did Ravashi right, uh, use this, um, this blowtorch? So that's another issue. And so really maybe he, the, he said the halacha, he didn't have to, but he was being extra, extra uh, careful and it made it good as new. Okay, okay. so going on. I'm going to put a of In the case of what, wood. So that's already how that translates to halacha. What do you do by kashering wood? It's is clearly what, right? So, so he says over here, you can actually do a Eitz, and you can do HaGolah wouldn't, uvechli rishon, Kivolo k'ach So, halakhala with regards to word, I wouldn't take it out of here. However, this fundamental concept of Kashering is exactly what we were referring to before. K'va'olo k'ach An amazing concept, just like it was absorbed, so too, that's how you take the absorption out. So that's a key line to, to underline. And remember, that that is a fundamental yasod, a basic idea that's used in the Kashering of these things, that whatever Amount of heat transferred it in—that's the amount of heat that can take it out. Okay, So they asked for What about China glazed earthenware? Wow, honey de What are the mane de The glaze, the china, the glazed uh, caleb. They use them for chametz on during the year. So therefore, to Can you use your china, your regular Shabbos weekday, your Shabbos or weekday china from during the year? Can you use them on Pesa? So it says wait. So the Mas says b'ailach. So first of all, there's china and there's china. The green. China, the Aruka, those are actually very porous. They, the green v- glaze even makes it more porous than regular, so that's for sure not, not going to be good. Says the Gemara says, the Those are certainly Yasser. They're talking about the black and white ones, the Hancock collection of Bone China. That, those black and white ones are actually glazed, and that glaze is pretty smooth. And the question is, even within the black and white ones, if they have like little cracks. And crevices where chametz could stay and and colonate over there. Lotibaylah, That certainly is also not going to be good. Devadaiy says the market tibayilach. she a ma? a here is when they're smooth. So we're talking about a glaze that's smooth. Therefore, there's no absorption, and that really is the right the crux of the issue here. When there's no absorption in this in these vessels, um, it's going to be smooth. And once it's smooth and there's no absorption, uh, what is going to be the koshering procedure? So Maremar answered the question as follows: Amalei chazin de midaysi, the so he says, I have seen that even these glazed, uh, these glazed kalim, they what? I have seen me dicey droplets of liquid, right, um, seem to appear on the exterior. It looks like they're schwitzing, right? It looks like they're sweating, right? In other words, I have empirically noticed that moisture sometimes is placed on the inside and then we see it on the outside. So we call that condensation. Right, But he took that to mean, or, or maybe he, what he's referring to, Meremar, is some other physical thing that he saw. But be that as it may, whatever physical thing he saw made him, uh, made him think that there's an absorptive process going on, even within the glazed earthenware, as follows. Says the Gemara, I'm a bale So based on my observation, it seems that there's some sort of absorption is going on. And again, so long as this is being absorbed... So it's actually taking on the chametz. And so long as it's got chametz in there, obviously I'm not going to let you, just like where there's crevices or where it's porous, the reason why why we don't allow you to use these kalim on Pesach is because there's chametz in there. So similarly here, the fact that I've seen some sort of transfer, things going in and out, presumably even of the glazed kalim, makes me think there's chametz in there and I'm not going to allow it. Okay? And, says the Gemara, And so the Torah itself, has given us, right, this testimony that a klicheres never actually is fixable, okay? Fine, this actually itself is, right, where is the Torah allowing this? So we know that with regards to the copper pots and all the metals, it, right, we know, like, we we know in the all the Sukkin that the Torah in fact does say that we shatter keres, right, with regards to the concept of Tuma and and the like, that we shatter keres, but we can actually fix metal. And so this is what we are used to, halach Maisa. and so this is the extra point of data that Marima is pointing out. Now, when asked Miriam asked the following Umais nala in yai nessach the Darsh Mirimar mane de konya right what's the difference regarding the yai nessach to to that Miriam said that if you have a glazed earthenware of right of a guy that has yai nessach between uka ma ben khivare u uven you roke and for that he doesn't care whether it's the black and white ones or the green ones which you said will more bars sure for yai nesach, he allows it wow so very tame yai nessach turban from Mr. called the teken turban came the Ryser second you can't say so again Miriam asked Khamet But he allowed Yai Nesach. In other words, you can uh Kalim that had Yai Nesach in them, or you may not even need to kasher them, just wash them out, and you can use them. But Chomets, you can't, right, in these earthenware vessels. So the question is, what would be the difference between Kalim that have the wine and Kalim that have the Chomets? So the first thing is, well, maybe you can't make a distinction for because of this incredibly fundamental idea. Like, all the tikkun rabanon came to Arise of Tikkun. You can underline that. Harshal uh, Shachter Shlita has reams and reams and reams of Shuram on this idea that really, chazal are never going to make a Takana, right, that is not going to match up with, with what the, what, what the Torah says. So, here, you're going to have to be consistent. Whatever you're going to say for yay you're going to have to say for chomets, right? So, in other words, they would never make, they would never say that one is asr du and then allow it to be kashid. You understand? In other words, if they're going to make a gezerah, a yay nesach, Mi derabanan on using those kalim, then they can make the gazera patterned after the way it's by chametz. And so, if it's also by chametz, then and then the way it's also by chametz, it's also going to be also by yain nesach, even if it is derabanan, right? Because it's going to be patterned after the daraisa of the chametz. To which answer answers, no, no, no. The distinction is not one of derabanan versus daraisa. Rather, me There's a distinction. How so? fundamental that chametz is used with hot, and by definition, yain is used with cold ha transfers, the chametz. Heat transfers, and cold does not. Wow, very, very fundamental. At every line, we have these chametz. Oh, and this stuff. To which Amar Rabba Barabba Amarchi Barashi Chametz Matza. So, to that point, this idea: if you had some sort of cleat that you only use chametz in cold, you could actually then afterwards use it for any non-chametz, or perhaps even matzah and min or. However, the exception would be if you have your sourdough right uh, contraption why means that the sourdough is very very intense that is so intense that as the Iran says that gets absorbed and so since in other words the point is heat we said gets absorbed cold does not get absorbed so things that were heated up here, it's also to use things that were cold it's to use so we say the sourdough is so potent that even in cold form it's absorbed Where you make the haroset is very sharp, right? You say the mar the said something which is very, very potent, is gonna be similar to the Sa'or in the sense that it's gonna be also even when cold. And Amarava, honey agani de machoza, well treated the mail chamira, that they used to have these troughs where they used to knead bread in mechosah, and they were used constantly for sourdough. And therefore, Mashbu Chamira, people kept sourdough in them for a long period of time, and therefore Kvais or Himusa Therefore those could not be used, even though it was cold, those could not be used for anything. On Pesach, because they had uh, obviously a lot of Chametz in them, to which the Gemara says, it's obvious, right? Obviously, if it's a sourdough holder, it would be uh, logically like Chametz. So the Gemara says, you no, might have thought that since these troughs had some open air circulation, that that would somehow mitigate and diminish the potency of the Chametz, as the Gemara says, the air would circulate and then it would mitigate, like I said, the potency, Kamash that even though it's an open air situation, it's still strong enough that we're going to treat it like Chametz. And so we've arrived at the Mishnah on the bottom of Lamed and Bez, and we'll start with a new Indian tomorrow. Yeah. After you.